Hello and welcome to episode 127 of The Winning Agenda. My name's Jesse Marshall and joining me as always is my lovable by-road sidekick, Wilfred E. Harig. How are you, Wilfie? Hi, good. And you? I'm well. Uh, we've been watching Euros over the last 24 hours, enjoying the high-stakes competition that's going on on the other side of the world. How are you enjoying that coverage so far? One of the other sides of the world. From Australia, there are many. That's true. Um, but yeah, things are going well. I haven't had the chance to actually see any live games because of uh, pesky time zones primarily, but mm. um, I yeah, I've looked at the standings at this point in time we are waiting, so day one's finished and we're waiting for day two to start and there's a lot of we, we've seen the faction breakdown and there's a lot of HB and Anarch at the top tables um, what are your speculations on that? Yeah, it seems as though it's a bit of a play counterplay sort of thing going on with moon being considered to be uh the best or most efficient corp deck and the deck that people are expecting to face they've all sort of brought wizard which makes mm-hmm. sense when yep, there's an exactly. asset based deck <laughs> yeah uh what are your thoughts on that uh yeah that's exactly what i was gonna say um and yeah i'm interested to see how it'll shake out since i think I, i'm not sure if we've had like i know that um it sort of always seems to be that there's a hot new deck that spreads like wildfire, but Moon has... There hasn't been something like Moon for a little bit, I think, in that sense. It seems very similar to CTM to me in a lot of ways, that it gets out of hand really quickly for the runner if you can't deal with the assets, and if you let them have the assets, they just get so far ahead that it's pretty hard for you to get back control of the game in any way, even by attacking centrals. Yeah, that's true. Like that, I think that's probably the closest comparison, and... You know, that certainly proved to be, to have longevity even when um, it was public enemy number one, right? So I do think the same thing will happen now, or maybe it's too early to tell, or maybe we'll make some predictions and then by the time this episode is released, they'll be proved either very right or very not so right. Yeah, but I mean, we're used to doing that, so I'm happy to. Um, I... Uh... It doesn't seem as resilient as CTM, I guess, is the first thing. One is that the scoring plan is Lakshmi Smart Fabrics generally, um, and that doesn't seem as resilient as CTM's scoring plan. The other is that uh, I, I don't think the... Th- it doesn't have the threat of the tag and the hard-hitting news, which prevented the runs, so really it's just relying on runners not having the tools to deal with the number of emotes that it puts out, as well as the efficiency of the ice that it's playing, which you know, HB ice is more efficient generally than NBN ice. So... If runners can find ways to be wizard and also deal efficiently with ice, which is a little harder in Anarch now that Faust has three MWL points on it, um, then it may be hard for the Moon decks to compete at the top tables. But I think it's got this similar, if not even more explosive power. Like I think Moon itself as a card uh, is more explosive than Banker's Group and Sensi potentially. Um, or it's sort of both of them combined, which means that you're more consistently able to hit that early tempo boost. So, yeah, it, it's potentially more powerful but less resilient, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. With CDM, there definitely were huge differences um, when you opened with the political and when you didn't. And I can see the same being um, said for Moon, the Moon decks, in all different varieties. But, yeah, given that you have a bit more consistency outside of moon in terms of implementing your game plan um with the moon deck compared to ctm i think a little bit um your cards do more sim- much more similar things than mm-hmm. to each other then i think that 
is a big difference and I'm interested to see how Euros turns out, especially with that in mind. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to watch a few games of Anarchs that are presumably trying to tech against that sort of list and whether they do manage to have that balance of attacking the assets but also being able to get past ice quickly enough. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, uh, our topic for today's episode is actually Earth Scion, uh, the latest pack at the time of our recording. I'm sure by the time this is released, we're, we've got quite the pipeline building up in episodes here. We, we may well have another pack, but uh, we've got to get through them all. So we'll start off this week with the runner side of Earth Scion. Uh, Wilfred, do you want to give us your thoughts on Berserker? It's a four cost, one memory, Anarch Icebreaker Refractor. Whenever you encounter a barrier, Berserker has plus one strength for each subroutine on that barrier. So it's two strength to start with, and it gets plus one for each subroutine on the barrier it's encountering, and it's two credits to break up to two subroutines on the barrier. Is this, as a sort of new style fixie breaker, good enough? Yeah, so I say, I mean, compared to the other <laughs> Anarch Morning fixie break, breaker, which yep. was Morningstar, then... Yes, um, but in yeah. general, I'm... so just to just to refresh our listeners' memories, Morning Stars were eight to install two memory, eight to install two memory, five strength, five strength. one yep. break, any number of subs. Yeah, um, but yeah, so I think this not not compared to Morning Star, but compared to Corroda and Paperclip, um, is not as good, primarily because. Um, relying on strength reduction for not that huge of a efficiency increase is not such a good plan i think like mimic and yog are all are both significantly significantly undercosted for losing the um ability to pump whereas berserker is sort of trading i think the ability to pump manually with this first uh on encounter ability and I don't really think that works out so well for Berserker. Um, it's also just worse than Paperclip in every way, isn't it? Like, I mean, even at the sweet spot where you've got a barrier that has three subroutines and is five strength, which is where this is the most efficient, Paperclip breaks that for four and this breaks it for four. Yes. Um, yeah, I can see that. I haven't uh, done the maths on all the... In- Incarnations of you know potential strengths and subs, but yeah, I can definitely see that being true. But I mean, maybe speaking more generally of the on encounter ability, it mm. seems like the cost for having an icebreaker in your deck that doesn't break all kinds of ice when you want it to, like that you can't just pump money yeah. into it to break ice when you need to, is pretty big. And I think, and the fixes that have been good in the past do like make up for that by being like so far undercosted mm. for that whereas this is sort of like you know sometimes you might get a small discount by not having to pay to break but that's hugely offset by the cost of having an icebreaker in your deck that can't break barriers even if you have the money to do so yeah if they're too high strength yes yeah. yeah and and the idea that you'd need other support cards data sucker etc to be able to use your barrier breaker in Anarch when breaking barriers has always been the easy thing for Anarchs to do between Corroda and Paperclip. Uh, yeah, I just don't see why you'd ever want to take this backward step and play the fist. Uh, so we might move on, I think, to Persephone. Uh, 
which is a little different. It's a five cost two memory program, Icebreaker Killer. It's an arc again. It's two to break a single sentry subroutine and one credit for plus one strength. Whenever you pass a sentry, you may trash the top card of the stack to trash one card from the top of R&D for each subroutine on that sentry that resolved. So when you're passing the sentry, you get to mill them for one, as long as you also mill yourself for one for each subroutine on the sentry that actually resolved. So how many sentry subroutines in general on commonly played ice do you see the runner wanting to allow to resolve once they've got their killer in play, Wolfie? Yeah, so I can think of a couple main situations. The first situation is trace subroutines, especially with runners that have high or high-ish link. Um, the second is trash subroutines for um, card types that the runner doesn't have in place, so not program, obviously, because you have mm-hmm. Persephone, but um, trash a resource or trash a hardware i guess maybe um but they're not so common nowadays like in terms of sentries the primary sentries that you actually the primary sentry subroutines i think still seem to be trash a program and end the run um or you know marginally other like marginally costed other subroutines those seem to be the main two so I'm not and I don't s- ever see splashing Persephone for three influence, and yeah. and arcs don't tend to be the link runners, which makes me a little skeptical about whether you're ever going to get to that situation. Yeah, it just seems a bit strange. Like, I think the ability is quite powerful, but for it to be good, you really need to actually be able to plan to run into a sentry um, with subroutines that you can let resolve. Yeah, and I mean, I like seeing additional abilities on Icebreakers just as a starting point. I think it is a the right design space to be exploring. Um, yeah, that's and I think the, we said yeah. the same thing with the Abagnale cycle that it makes it harder to just evaluate the break numbers and the break pump and break abilities against each other and decide on the most efficient one when you're also getting these other incidental abilities along the way. Exactly. That's what like that's what I wanted to say with Berserker and Persephone being the first two cards. Like I get that it's hard to evaluate to be it's it's very easy to be like Berserker is just not playable because it matches up so numerically inefficiently compared to Corroder and Paperclip and numerical efficiency is the most important thing for breakers. But when you have interesting other effects like this or especially in Versificator Mm-hmm. I think that's how you pronounce it that we'll get to later. Um, uh, I think that's an interesting... Yeah, it is an interesting design space. Uh, the last thing I want to say on this card is that um, you can play it with uh, Egret. Is that how you pronounce that? Yes. The, yeah. yeah. Um, to, like, that actually might... Maybe that's a bit too ridiculous, but that is an option for getting this ability to do something because i think if you're gonna play this card it's in order to trigger the last ability as many times as possible really you don't want to interact in use it to interact in regular ways with sentries so that might be an option but then again it's hard to envisage playable like decks that have a large proportion of playable ice with subroutines that in some situations you can just ignore like Mm. of course there are some but it's almost impossible to see that most decks will have like 
enough targets that you can plan for this to be a primary game plan, even with something like Egret. If we move back into like pup.deck territory, then Persephone might come back with a vengeance. But yeah, other than that, I don't see a lot of opportunities. Uh, I guess just quickly, do you want to touch on the the primary ability? Uh, we ha- we haven't got a lot of pumpable killers in Anarch, so it's probably worth talking about whether this is just viable playing on its own, uh, as in just for the primary ability and then using the secondary as a, a true upside. Um, it's pretty expensive though, isn't it? Two yeah, I think subroutine is always pretty bad. Disregard even disregarding the install cost and memory, it compares unfavorably to MK Ultra. I think, yeah, like against most common sentries. So I wouldn't really do that. <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, next card in the pack is Rubicon Switch. It's a three cost criminal hardware, three influence. It says, X credits and a click. De-res a piece of ice, res this turn. X is its printed res cost. Use this ability once per turn. So printed res cost mm, obviously makes the brain start thinking about things that increase ice res costs um, and the synergy there. So you're forcing them to pay more to res things, but you're de-resing them for the printed cost, which could be some small efficiency you can get out of this card. Uh, also the fact that you can, you don't need to run on HQ, like with what you do, like what you do for emergency shutdown, obviously that's balanced out with the fact that you have to pay the res cost to de-res it. But I don't know, I, I could see this one or two of these being part of an econ dinar strategy in Krim, or at least it gives Krims a few more deck building options when they're trying to put together that sort of deck. Yeah, it's sort of like we have a critical mass of this sort of effect by this point. Like I think when we talked about with Maxwell James, um, mm. now you have shutdown, you have brute force hack, uh, you have Maxwell James, and you have this, all of which do slightly different things. But um, I sort of see this as being like a um, hardware that lets you recur brute force hack as many times as you want. Um, but mm. I do think that the uh, essential part that makes this worse is the res this turn. Like, yeah, not. Um, I think this sort of effect is already sort of situational in that you need to use it to press your economic advantage because it's pretty useless when you don't have an economic advantage over the corp. And so this also, in addition to that, forces you to... Um, be able to leverage your economic advantage on the turn that they're specifically resing the piece of ice that you want to de-res, which I think is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Uh, the next card in the pack is Aeneas Informant. It's a criminal re- resource connection, one influence, zero to install. Whenever you access a card with a trash cost, not in archives, and do not trash it, you may reveal it and gain one. This is sort of a somewhat anti-remote asset spam card, also works on centrals. HQ is the best place because they already have the information. So you're accessing cards that can be trashed. You're not trashing them. You're revealing the card to them, which they already know, and you're gaining a credit. So there's a bit of upside there. R&D, you're obviously giving them some information, so it makes it a little less good. On the remotes, you have to not be trashing the card. So it's like a pseudo desperado, but it only works if you're not trashing the card. So it seems like it's in a bit of a funny place to me. I don't feel like it's consistently upside enough. 
I think yeah I think this card is pretty interesting I think the main thing is that you can stack them that it's not not unique so yeah no that's a big deal being like I could definitely see and people have been playing already I think on Jinteki and in real life this as a secondary economy slot to supplement your Desperado Temujin like where you would you might play security testing KD drones or bank job instead playing mold like three copies of these and trying to get to a state where you can assemble two or three of these and be able to like generate your own magnum opus because it's not mm-hmm. that hard like of course it's not super like magnum opus in that you know you have to have somewhere that you can run um and be able to access cards with trash costs but not trash them but it also gives you um the access as well so it's sort of like um maybe halfway between turning wheel and magnum opus in that if you're accessing a card that you don't want to access you can get money to run again which makes it good with things like medium or data sucker temujin and the general criminal things so i think it's actually fairly well costed um to be good in a criminal deck like I do understand that people are saying that it's good against asset spam, but I'm not, like, it is okay, but I don't really see it as being a great strategy to check and not trash every remote anyway. Like, usually you want to... I mean, it's good against asset spam in the same way bank job is, right? Uh, yeah, in the that you... It, it's... You punish them for having assets by giving yourself a massive economic advantage just for the fact that the assets exist unprotected yes true um so yeah and that's it i think this is a sort of card that you really want to play three copies of because it's mainly good in multiples and that can be an economic engine for a criminal deck in some circumstances mm. the fact that you are relying on them playing trashable cards is potentially a problem if you're designing your economic engine too much around this though uh, that's in that true. runner decks yeah. don't want their primary economy cards to rely on there being particular cards in the corp deck. That's true, but when like we spent the first uh, little bit of the episode talking about how Moon might be public enemy number one, right? So it's v- like if that's going to be common enough, if decks like that are going to be common enough, that you c- it's sort of like the security testing thing, right? You can some decks can plan to block off their three centrals and a remote server and then your security testing is much worse but some decks like just don't have a realistic avenue to do that yep so this is sort of the same but i think kind of in in reverse Mm, not really in reverse like similar to security testing i think that's the Mm. best comparison for it cool next card in the pack is rosetta 2.0 a three cost four influence criminal resource virtual Click and remove an installed program from the game. Search your stack for a non-virus program, shuffle your stack, then install that program, lowering the install cost by the cost of the program removed from the game. So an interesting program tutor here. I mean, the fact that it's the first non-icebreaker tutor for criminals, non-icebreaker program tutor, is kind of cool. Yeah, so it's so it's a bit of a weird card. It's sort of halfway between Scavenge and Artist Colony, I think, um, which makes it strange that it's in Criminal since you're it's mashing two Shaper cards together. Yeah. Um, but 
I think that the fact that it is in criminal means that's potentially good where it wouldn't be in shaper just because as you said it's the first way for you to get programs um that aren't icebreakers into your um interplay from the stack at a reasonable cost um mm-hmm. where do you see like it's a it's a deck building medium. puzzle i think like medium comes to mind i think uh, it can't get viruses Oh right! Okay. Oh no! Right. It's okay, <laughs> no, so no. Alexis, can you just edit that out, or maybe leave <laughs> everything in? We'll see. Yeah. Uh, okay, that makes it significantly worse. Um, I mean, look, crims do splash single copies of efficient breakers, so this can help you find that. But then, special order already does that. So, what other single copy splashed programs? that aren't medium do you want to be finding there's probably a, not a lot at this there's point a couple things i can think of some people have been playing equivocation in their like weird ish criminal decks like um as a way to get extra access like basically as an alternative way to get extra access as an r&d that doesn't necessarily require you to run all the time mm-hmm. um but the thing is that I wouldn't play Rosetta 2.0 just to be able to get my single copy of a card. I would want sort of a toolboxy deck that can um, have cards for multiple different situations and also programs in play that you don't necessarily need anymore and are okay to th- throw away. So, I, I mean, those kind Sounds of... Sounds like a shaper strategy to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what makes this card so yeah. weird, I think. Like... um. It does, it's basically a shaper card transplanted into criminal, which is, I guess, good in some sense because normally criminal cards get transplanted into other factions, but that's an issue for another time. Cool. The next card is a really interesting one, uh, which causes a lot of rules controversy and a lot of really legitimate rules questions, which we won't try and address all of today. It's a five-cost shaper hardware mod to influence. It's called Adjusted Matrix. It says, install adjusted matrix on an icebreaker. Host icebreaker gains AI and click break ice subroutine. So the first and most obvious question about this card is, does it actually do anything? And the answer is no, as printed, because you can't use the ability during a run. Oh, come on. Always, like, okay, <laughs> we can just imagine for a sec that works like always be running, right? Like, we'll be, like that seems reasonable. I think it's just worded this way because the intent is that you have to match strength, so it needs to be paid ability, right? Yep. But it also, yeah. So let's just imagine that it says how it, how we think it says. And so imagine it, it says, if the strength of this icebreaker is equal to or greater than the strength of the ice you're currently encountering, you may spend one click to break one subroutine. Yes. Okay. Now can we talk about the card? As many times as you like. Yes, we can talk about the card. Okay. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is that turning like your opponents it's not as good as turning turning your opponent's ice into viroids because you still have to match strength which means that you sort of have to do a lot of work i think to make this good and i don't see that ability to be that powerful like viroids all seem to you know the good viroids seem to see play like of course viroids would be much better without that text but for you to have to first pump your ice icebreaker's strength to match your opponent's ice means that the primary avenue for dealing with high strength biroids which is to just click through them even if you don't have breakers like this doesn't really do the same thing 
as is, it's that, a pretty right? good it's a pretty good kit card though isn't it like if you have torch and you have this you can deal with two or three ice servers pretty easily at least once per turn that's true but that's yeah okay it is good in laying your remote lock but that's sort of like you know you play a torch which costs a lot and then this which costs a lot and then like some people play dinosaurus and dinosaurus kind of does this a similar thing to this mm, except dinosaurus just helps you deal with that first ice and the whatever other code gates whereas this helps you deal with the rest of the ice behind the first one right like i do see that it is very good in kit because it makes your first run more effective which is what kit usually wants to do um but yeah in that sense i could like if you want to play a kit deck that primarily uses code gate breakers which i guess is what kit usually wants to do um then is to have one code gate breaker and then one ai breaker this does a reasonably good job of as uh, this does a re- reasonably good job of acting like your secondary breaker yep um and then it makes things like deep data mining better which is what you want with this sort of card because you want to be making impactful runs yes that's true i didn't think about that actually that's so- yeah okay so maybe the best way to think about it is like an icebreaker that doesn't take an like it's more like an icebreaker than is a modification for the icebreakers yes. you already have, right? Yep. Uh, but I think the point that you originally made about how limited clicks are as a resource is still really important. In that, there are obviously going to be situations where this doesn't help you get past two more ice beyond the first with that torch, but there are situations where it will. So that inconsistency, I think, is going to be the difficulty in that the. the over the course of the game, you can't really make it more efficient because you still only have three clicks. Yes. And then... Or three more clicks. Yeah, and then sure. once this doesn't do anything, it's... But, like, you know, you can ideally... Like, the ideal case with a card like this is that you never have to deal with the situation where it doesn't do anything because you either win by that point or you disrupt the corp enough that they can never build a server. That's that That's... You, they can never build a server that strong, right? And like Inversificator, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about soon, does help with that. So maybe, yeah, we'll leave that for now. Yeah, cool. Um, definitely an interesting card, and I like the design a lot. The next card is a two-cost Shaper hardware mod, three influence. It's called Dedicated Processor. Install Dedicated Processor on a non-AI icebreaker. Host icebreaker gains two credits plus four strength i like this i always thought the uh the personal touch was funny old card standing on its own with no other cards in the game that did similar things and here we have two mods in a row um this one is kind of similar to the personal touch in some ways but probably quite a bit more powerful um yes it is a bit more powerful but um it's still i still don't really see where this sort of card fits like fixies yeah but you don't like that's sort of going back to the earlier problem the earlier thing that we brought up which is that fixies gain their value by being much more efficient than they would be if they did pump and then this is sort of like you're stapling on an extra card to do that but like net ready eyes has done that in the past and this i suppose Mm -hmm. is sort of similar to net ready eyes but i do still see the 
drawback that you have to choose which icebreaker to put this on, like to be fairly significant. Sure. So it's got the same sequencing issue um, that NetReadyEyes doesn't have. Um, but I don't know. I feel like Shaper decks being able to play Mimic with Impunity is pretty good for them. Like um, you can generally access programs from your stack at will with Shaper, given that you have SMC. And so the fact that you draw this early is not necessarily a problem. And the fact that you then have to wait to use your Mimic on big ice until you have this is also not really a problem. I mean, we played Data Sucker to complement Mimic. That's true. Like, I do, like, Mimic plus this is a reasonable ice. It's just... I'm not certain at the moment what sort of decks would sort of want that. I guess if it's sort of like you have this and you can choose to put it on your Mimic if it's necessary, then put it on your maybe Yogg if it's not, if that's necessary, or if all else fails, put it on your Corroda. I could see that being good, but I think the thing is there whether you can access this card at the right point in the game where you need it to make it a worthwhile inclusion into your deck. Mm. Cool. That's going to be an interesting one to watch, I think. Yeah, which is, yeah, as we said earlier, the opposite problem that NetReadyEyes, like the problem that NetReadyEyes doesn't have and the main drawback to this card over that one, I think. Yep. The next card is Inversificator. It's the aforementioned Inversificator, six to install, one memory, shape a program, decoder. The first time you pass a piece of ice each turn in which you used Inversificator to break all subroutines, you may swap that ice with another piece of ice. It's two strength, decoder, one to break a subroutine, one for plus one strength. So it's got base Gordian Blade stats. You're paying two more to install than Gordian Blade, uh, but you aren't getting the retain strength ability, you're getting this other ability, which may be quite a bit more powerful. Yeah, so the way I see this card is it's a way for, as we mentioned earlier, kit decks to ensure that the corp can't keep a remote, can't create a remote that will keep them out, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it does that by being able to switch the corpse code gates to the remote or the smaller ice to the remote and the bigger ice to servers that are not so useful anymore. Like, I think the ability is fairly flexible. Like, the issue is that, you know, it only um, works on the first ice that you pass having broken that ice with Inversificator. So it's not like Escher where you can just rearrange things um, deeper in servers to like places where they're not as effective but I do think that it's like playing against Inversificator is a pretty big puzzle in ice placement for the corp because if you can threaten like multiple different servers in your deck then Inversificator offers you a lot of options to make that an effective route to victory I think like if you have something like Temujin and you put it on R&D and then your opponent ices R&D, you can ensure that they can't both protect R&D and protect their remote and create a remote that they can score through at the same time, unless all their ice is like massive, which is possible but not common, I think. Um, so it's sort of like you really... like 
all those things kind of um, they create some deck building demands because it's not that easy especially in Shaper to be able to do that but like I mean especially with Temujin now like I can see that easily being effective where you can get a lot of accesses that way and make your way to seven points by making it difficult for the corp to protect all the servers they want to because of how this affects the strength of the important servers compared to the less important servers and at two uh, at decent stats uh, sorry with decent stats it's not necessarily a problem to splash this into crim or something given that you're still getting gordian blade like stats yes it's a little more to install uh, but over the course of the game it's going to perform in much the same way at actually getting you into servers plus you're getting this other ability to really screw around with their ice placement yeah that's true like that was something that um you know if you like Gordian Blade it's about as powerful as Abignail um in terms of ability uh you know numerical ability but yeah I think especially in criminal where you have a lot more tools to do what I was saying earlier um to pressure multiple different servers at once then this Mm. I think could end up being really good like I think yeah it's yeah. just a, it's a strong card in general and it's very interesting to play against I I think. Mm. And yeah the fact that you can cause the corp to have a squeeze reasonably early in the game I think oh, that's what you want to do with this card lends it more to the criminal playstyle where you do tend to get a lot of upfront credits whether it's from Andromeda or something else and then want to use those to keep the corp off their game plan for as long as possible. I think if you get this reasonably early in the game when you're pretty awash with credits and they're struggling to res all their ice, swapping around their code gates um, to servers where they're useless and instead putting unresed ice that they then have to res to keep you out of that crucial server that you're targeting at that time, I think is a lot better in Crim than it is in Shaper. Yeah, I think that especially the first ability makes the um, comparison to Gordian Blade, or not the first ability, but the primary... um, switching ability on Inversificator makes the compare like the fact that it doesn't retain strength like Guardian Blade less important because ideally with this you're never running a server that has multiple stacked code gates like big stacked code gates anyway because you're putting them on the server where you're not doesn't really matter yeah exactly so I think that yeah this is actually in criminal decks compares favorably to Guardian Blade I would say most of the time hmm Cool. Uh, the next card in the pack is Dadiana Chacon. It's a resource connection, zero to install. It's unique, zero influence. When your turn begins, gain one if you have fewer than six credits. Whenever you have zero credits, trash Dadiana Chacon and take three meat damage. That's not great. You can never sure gamble when you're on five. Um, yeah, I don't know. Wilfie, what are your thoughts? So I think that like the first like a zero cost resource that pays out one every turn is pretty powerful even if it is unique so i think that like awards a consideration but the fact that the first ability just has such anti-synergy with the sort of decks you would want those slow drip resources in anyway um Mm. which is decks that want to you know um remote lock the corp and eventually generate enough resources like in terms of a rig and a credit pool that you can utilize that to 
get enough accesses to win the game you don't really want to have to spend your money every turn because that's if you're spending your money every turn to you know stay below six or stay on five or below or whatever um then that's the time where the corp has a scoring window so Mm -hmm. yeah this i think has to be played in a different sort of deck um maybe one that is more aggressive and wants to install things earlier but also then use their money more aggressively to disrupt the corp like i guess this is might be good in a criminal strategy with something like brute force hack because that is a card that lets you trade your resources with the um with the corp mm-hmm. but then again it's sort of like just only doing something when you have have less than five credits is l- less than six credits is really bad i think that's the long and short of it <laughs> yeah i think so too i can't see this working uh yeah given the limitations and the fact that the trash is instantaneous if you ever go to zero <laughs> yeah cool yeah. yeah i think that brings us to the end of the episode uh there are some really interesting cards in there and some that i'm looking to trying out uh looking forward to trying out adjusted matrix investificator uh rubicon switch even an es informant yeah plenty of cards with inter- interesting abilities and even those with the exception of berserker i think all the others that may not make the mark at least show some interesting design intent as well thoughts wolfie um i think the berserker fan club will be uh knocking down our door soon enough so maybe we shouldn't they're a powerful lobby group <laughs> maybe, yeah, we maybe we should leave it there yeah but <laughs> they might get angry cool uh so uh, if you want to get in touch with us you can send us an email at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook at The Winning Agenda. You can tweet us at Winning Agenda. You can check us out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash thewinningagenda. And while you're there, you can throw a few dollars our way as well. Uh, until next week, when we will be tackling the corpse side of Earth Scion, I've been Jesse Marshall here with Wilfie Horrig for The Winning Agenda. See you next week. Thanks. See you next week. Bye.